an outline of where we're headed today. We're going to begin with uh, A is resolving differences, a couple of uh, different ideas and concepts we wanted to share. B will be fraternization effects and approaches. C will be the path between legalism and liberalism. And the final portion will be the survey results. I'm not so sure that I'm going to be able to, especially from the comments in the surveys, give you a cohesive understanding of what was in them. Uh, for sure, I will give you all the results, and that, may, at the very least, will give you some, I guess, uh, a pulse of where people are in terms of how they perceive different things, different problems. Um, but there's a lot of data to crunch, and I just didn't have a ton of time to be able to really, in a, a great way, I read through all the comments and talked to some other people that did, and got a little bit of a feeling for it, so I'll, I'll be discussing it a little bit, but I, um, I wish there was more time to really delve into it, but at the very least, you'll get the numbers for sure today. Um, <clears throat> we've got some of our laptop issues resolved, and um, so let's begin. One of the things that has been a challenge, not just for our fellowship, but for all fellowships, is the differences and divisive issues that come up, some of which are um, not that critical, others that are doctrinal, and others that are, uh, you know, how operations of the church take place. Um, the problem with, with these divisions, though, is, is how we handle them often leaves people uh, feeling negative. Um, and it's because a lot of these things are hard to deal with. One thing that I always try to tell people as in a low-level leadership role that I'm in, a lot of times I tell people, you know, you don't have to understand. When you're talking with a family of six people or five people, everyone has to be a little flexible to get along and be part of that family. When you're talking about a church family that's 50 or 80 or 150, you know, you, that dynamic is multiplied. You have to realize that decisions are made. If I would take all of this person's ideas and concepts and say, okay, we're going to do everything that you say, we were talking about a lot of upheaval, a lot of disgruntled people. So, you know, change in a church is something that, that takes time and is not easy to do. Uh, and even resolving things is often a difficult thing to come, to come up with ways of, of getting through it. But we have some ideas and solutions, some of which we're doing at Wycliffe Flake that um, are really just in, in a more recent time that we're thinking are going to be a help to us in terms of getting through some of these things. Um, a lot of times if a divisional issue or a, a, something comes up, um, in many cases, what we have done as a fellowship is it's kind of put into the lap of a leadership, and the leadership makes a decision on it based on trying to keep things as unified as possible, trying to appease people as much as possible, and, of course, keeping an eye on Scripture. Um, invariably, um, you have people that are not necessarily thrilled with how things are resolved, and, and as a result, they kind of are... The, the thing simmers with them or it festers with them in a worst-case scenario. And, and it just is a kind of an ongoing negative feedback or negative feel that, that, that kind of can permeate a fellowship, depending on how many people are involved. And it's really a, a somewhat of a problem. Um, and in many cases, simmering problems turn into festering problems, and festering problems manifest, them ways and manifest themselves in a lot of different ways, many of which are unpleasant. I mean, you could have some, some simple decision in a church um, that turns into a big issue because the, the three or four or the half dozen that are simmering about a problem uh, use that, and not all, not all the time, but will use that as an issue to kind of cause greater conflict because they're, they're trying to find an output, uh, a release for that tension, that irritation that they feel. And they're human beings, and that's what happens sometimes. 
So we have to realize that, and, and that then multiplies and complicates the problem. Um, what activity qualifies as divisiveness? Well, it's this is a hard answer, a hard question to answer, because on the one hand, if things are being done in a way that I like, and a person has an idea that's different, well, I'm going to label that person as divisive. Of course, they're divisive. They don't agree with me. By the same token, um, it could very well be that they are bringing up an issue that is scripturally sound and that I really need to address both in a church sense or in a leadership sense or in a personal sense. And I have to acknowledge that. I can't just simply label it as divisive and walk away. I have to acknowledge it and I have to address it and I have to research it. So, um, but I, I guess I tried to come up with a way of saying, well, what is something that's divisive? And I, I wrote a comment here for you to review and think about. Divisiveness is not the expression of a different opinion. It is the consistent expression for the purpose of swaying thoughts and opinions of others for the purpose of gaining support and creating change. And that may not be a perfect statement, but um, I think that you can have an issue with the way a church is doing things. And I can be technically correct. And yet the way I go about causing a change in my fellowship I can be a divisive person, even if I'm correct. And that's a tough thing to recognize because a lot of times when we are fully convinced of something and we, are, we know that we're correct about it in our interpretation of Scripture, we feel like the shackles are off, I can do whatever I want and push as hard as I want because I'm right. And the fact is, you may in fact be right, but it doesn't give you the opportunity, doesn't give you carte blanche to be divisive. And that's a tough thing to understand sometimes. Proverbs 17, 19, He loveth transgression that loveth strife, and he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. I'm going to read it one more time because it's, it's kind of a mouthful. He loveth transgression that loveth strife. Do you know people that love strife? You know what? There's times where I love strife if I think that I'm right, or if I know that I'm right. But if I love strife, it means I love transgression. And once again, a lot of it comes down to attitude, to focusing on my love of the body, my love of my brothers, my developing relationships, and work. You know, this is going to sound really crass, but a lot of times the reason that a person that is right about something scripturally, the reason they don't get their way it's because they are a political moron. That's a strong statement. Or they're a political dunce. Or they don't understand that if you want to affect positive change, you can't necessarily use the sledgehammer of I'm right. These are tough things to grasp. And I don't want to be offensive to people, but I'm putting it out there. And if you have a problem with it, I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to be corrected. Unacceptable venues for expression. So we're talking about a person or a group of people that have an issue that they are in conflict about. They're not happy about the church's direction. One thing that we, in uh, our personal church at home, and that probably every church struggles with is that a lot of times, again, if you're talking about a simmering problem or an issue that, that people have that, that they want to see change in the church, they're using venues that really are not appropriate for affecting a change. 
If you're a minister, a minister, I have to really be cautious that I don't use the pulpit as my way of putting stuff out there that I want to I want to manipulate the church in a different direction. Now, granted, I, whenever you're preaching, you're, you're trying to affect change in people. But I have to be careful that I don't use the platform of preaching as a place where I can sledgehammer people with issues that are really divisive or use them in a divisive way. Likewise, if I'm a Bible class teacher, I have to be careful because when we're in a church setting like that, we have believers and non-believers. And there's there's... Uh, both in terms of uh, from a preaching format or from a Bible class teaching format or from a Sunday school class teaching format, we don't necessarily have a fair engagement opportunity from the audience. So we really have to be careful. If we have issues that, that we feel we want to see change in and that are maybe somewhat divisive or that, that we, we really feel convicted about, we have to be careful what venues we choose because we can just really cause greater problem if we're clobbering people from behind a microphone because it's an unfair advantage, so to speak, and we just really have to be cautious about that. Even in a Bible class setting as a participant, it's often the case, uh, often depends on where you're at, but it, it, it happens with, free, with some frequency in all of our churches where um, a question is asked and a topic is being discussed and someone comes in with a sledgehammer from the back left or the back right, or the middle center portion, and says, ba 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 It's like, you're like, you know, you kind of cringe because it may be too strong, it's maybe exemplary of, of where they're at in terms of they're angry, and we, we just, it's not the appropriate place. And that begs the question, what is the appropriate place? 1 Corinthians 3.3 3 says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? When a person comes to our church, especially maybe a newcomer, and they can see and sense that carnality, that strife and those divisions in a Bible class, we're not serving them well. We're not serving them well. And we really, really need to be sensitive to people that are in our churches. We talked about a little bit yesterday and will more so today, I'm sure, about being sensitive to reaching out to people and being welcoming to people. If they come in and they feel like they need a flak jacket in Bible class, flak jacket is bulletproof vest, speaking metaphorically, it's not a good thing. It's not a pleasant experience. We want a Bible class setting to be full of vibrant discussion and maybe even some differences of opinion. That's okay. But there's crossing the line, and you know what I'm talking about. We have, we used to have, um, and maybe I'm wrong about this, an annual brothers meeting in Wycliffe Lake, and then we went to twice a year. We had one in the fall, and then one in the spring, right before our annual church business meeting, and now we've moved to three times a year. And one thing that we came up with at a recent um, ministers meeting was, you know, what, brothers meetings are great places to have open dialogue, as well as our sisters meetings, which we also had in Wycliffe Lake. You can be more frank. You can be more open. That's really the setting that if you have issues that you feel really need to be expressed, that's the place to do it. Um, we used to have a situation at Wycliffe Lake where we would like to have um, agenda items 
presented to the ministers before the meeting. Because we wanted to be able to, if uh, an issue was going to be brought forward that we felt might be somewhat divisive or controversial, we wanted to have a heads up so that we could do some study, have some preparation so that we wouldn't just be blindsided and, and, and maybe not have ready scriptures at hand or whatnot. So um, we did that for a number of years, but brothers felt as though, um, and wasn't really expressed until more recently, they felt as though that was a stifling impact to open conversation. And that was not our intent. Our intent was just to be well prepared for what may come up. We still are continuing to ask brothers that have agenda items to submit them ahead of time for those purposes. However, we've changed. And we're now saying, you know what? If you, something comes up or that you didn't think of or it came up in the midst of discussion of something else, you're allowed to bring it up. But here's what we've decided to do. Is that if a brother or if it's a sister's meeting, I'm, I'm going to speak about brother's meetings only because it's... it's uh, logistically easier for me to just focus on one. But this all pertains to sisters' meetings as well, which I think are positive forums that I encourage you to, to have as well. But speaking about brothers' meetings specifically, um, the idea that we talked about was that, you know, instead of, there's really kind of a twofold solution that we tried to come up with. Instead of dealing with divisive issues there and try to come up with resolutions, we thought, you know what? Let's say divisive issues come up in the brother meeting. Let's have the brother make his presentation, make his case, lay out scripture for us, hopefully. And instead of addressing it at all, what we're going to do as a brotherhood is we are going to, as a brotherhood, put this item on our next meeting's agenda. And here's the key. Every brother is going to be asked to study up on this issue. And every brother will be asked... We didn't necessarily go through all these nuances of points, but, but the idea is to come to that next meeting and that every brother has some input and has some opinion and has some scripture to say, I believe this issue should be handled in this way. And there's a couple of things that I think are powerful about that. Number one, it allows for the free-form expression for a person in a meeting to say, here's the problem I have. Number two, it allows for this thing to be thought about. And in our case, since we're doing meetings three times a year, it's approximately you know, three to four months' time until this is revisited again. It gives the brother or sister, or whatever the case may be, an understanding that, you know what? We're listening. And we're going to more than just respond right now off the top of our heads. We're going to respond not just as leadership, but as a body to what you've said. The elder will be able to respond. The ministers will be able to respond. The Bible class leaders will be able to respond. The quiet brother that never says a word in any brother's meeting will have an opportunity and hopefully will be encouraged to respond based on a three to four month period of time that they have had to think about, to study, to meditate, to look at scripture, to think about short term and long term impacts, to hear of and to, to consider what happened 27 years ago or 58 years ago that maybe no one even knows about and how these things were handled. So um, we believe that it would be a powerful way for our body to look at issues, to handle them more appropriately, to diffuse some of the responsibility for the decisions away from the leadership and allow the body to be able, not to, that we're saying, you know what, uh, leadership is irrelevant, we're not going to rely on them. They have been chosen by the Lord to serve these bodies. We're going to defer to them, clearly. But I'll tell you right now, the leadership is going to be very thankful to have a lot of brothers 
studying this together. And I'll tell you right now, if we have a large number of brothers studying this together, where's the fear in that? Do we have a reason to fear if all the brothers are studying together and humbling themselves before the word of the Lord and saying, Lord, show us the way? Do we have to be fearful? We don't. We don't. The Lord will lead the way. And of course we will still follow leadership and guidance of our elders. That's what they're there for. That's what scripture also says. But I think it, it provides a forum, in my thinking at least, and our thinking in Wycliffe Lake, for us to be able to take some of these issues, for us to handle them in a way that gives some time, and, and will I think clearly give a person that's making a case a feeling that this issue is not being brushed under the rug, which I know is a major concern for a lot of people. And that's one of the things that was brought up on the surveys and the comments, that people are concerned that an issue comes up and a decision's been made and it's swept away and that's it. We need to be sensitive. And the answer is, as a group, collectively as a brotherhood, study the scriptures over a period of time, talk about it, and find out what the Lord would lead us to do. I think it, it has some port, important elements of inclusion of a lot of people. Time being spent. And, and the key about time being spent is that hopefully it won't just be people that, that want to hammer us with Scripture, but people that are prayerfully saying, Lord, lead my heart, lead my spirit, that when we get to this next meeting in three months or four months, that we can feel like when we're done, you know what? We have really hashed this out. Not everyone's going to be perfectly happy, but at least we've maybe tweaked things a little bit or modified things or changed things. You know, case in point, a year or two ago, when the decision was made that we not take floor nominations for advisors from Eastern Camp, I didn't like that. I didn't like it. It didn't sit well with me. I felt like... And I wasn't an advisor at the time, now I am, and it's, I, had no, I had no input in this whole thing, even including what's happening now, so don't think like I had it. I am, I'm biased. Um, I, I just felt like, you know what, I felt like the advisors, and I understood some of the reasons, but I felt like there was a control issue that, you know what, we just got to control this thing better, and in, the, in some ways they needed to, but I felt like, wh- where's the body's input? And what happened? Without any input from me or any, I don't even know that, David, I expressed that I didn't like that too much because it wasn't a big issue. But the fact is now we've evolved into yet something else that I think is terrific, that handles all of the problems. The body still has an opportunity to put forth um, nominations. I think it's actually going to be more effective in terms of getting more nominations because in the heat of the moment, oh, I didn't think about it. Uh, I'm, I'm bashful. I'm not sure. Um, now you can quietly go to one of the three brothers that's on the committee and say, these are the people that I think. So there's... Imp- I, I just... The bottom, bottom line is, I don't want to talk too long about it, is I think it is a great way. It's a new solution. It addresses some of my issues. But we didn't get there in five minutes. And I had to be a little bit disgruntled for a few days. But we're working together to make things better. God will lead the way. I'll turn it over to Bob. I have to admit that uh, that I was a little apprehensive about taking on this subject. Um, And I need to preface what I present 
with the understanding that, that this isn't a catch-all solution, uh, that this falls under the umbrella of strengthening our fellowship, and it, it kind of covers it from that approach. And, and it's, its intent is to give some insight into maybe how we're working right now and how we might better uh, work on some things. So this is not a solution to everything, and it's not, you know, it's 15 minutes on a subject that could probably be, uh, be talked about for a week. Um, to start with, just to be honest, uh, as a young Christian, um, I struggled with this concept, concept of fraternization. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to define it in Scripture. And, uh, and I thought that, um, that it, it wasn't such a big deal that the, uh, that the elders and, and the ministers were making just too big of a fuss about it. They just needed to lay off a little bit and, and let things be. It's amazing what a few years in leadership does. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. You know, that's what I used to think. I don't think that anymore. I'll be honest. Um, I've seen the results of, of fraternization. I've seen the results and, and at first hand seen how devastating it can be um, to my local body. I've also been around long enough to recognize that, uh, that we all do it to, to one level or another. Pretty much all of us do it. Anybody read a book, a Christian book lately, other than the Bible? Anybody? So, have you fraternized? You know, the the Purpose Driven Life book is out there, and and people are buying it. And I'm sure people within our denomination are buying it. It's on the radio waves. It's on the TVs. You hear about it. Um, There's books about dating. That, that a lot of us have read. Um, you know, I Kiss Dating Goodbye is a, is a good book that we all like. Um, there's a book called Common Sense that, that I know a lot of us have read. Um, will, what is it? Will the, heretics, will the Last Heretic Stand Up? Or I forget the name of that book. Will the Real Heretic Stand Up? Right? Fraternizer. <laughs> <laughs> My point is that, uh, that we all do it. The types that we engage in. What are the types that we engage in? Books. And it's, this is easy. We decide what we read. We go out. We, we pick the book that makes sense. We flip through it. We read it. Nobody knows that we're reading it unless we share it with people, unless they look in our library. Um, it's private. But technically, technically, if we, if we look at a technical definition, and I'm not actually laying out a definition, but based on what we all kind of understand this, this word to mean, we're doing it. We're accepting input from outside the denomination, outside the scripture, um, we're reading, and we're filtering it. Sermons. Sermons on tape, sermons on CD, sermons on the internet. Most of them don't come from our denomination. Yet, um, a lot of people listen to sermons. There's some popular 
um, speakers out there. And don't get me wrong, um, they can be really good. Somebody gave me a sermon from John MacArthur to listen to, and I listened to it, and he did an excellent job refuting Pentecostal views. Nothing wrong with that. He also has a lot of other views. Um, Might be something wrong with some of those, according to the way we look at things. But sermons, um, visiting other churches, the classic kind of definition of of fraternization, uh, and it's becoming much much more apparent, much bigger issue um, among our young people. Um, Interestingly enough, it's not quite as big of an issue um, for me and, and for us in Beverly Hills, we're rather isolated. And uh, when our young people are gone, there's no presumption about where they're, that, that they might be going to another church. Uh, we ask, hey, where were you? <laughs> right? and, and they can't say, oh, I was at, at East Akron or West Akron or, or North Akron or South Akron. And, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's actually, to be totally honest, it's probably a much bigger issue in Ohio where people can go to another church and it doesn't have to be one of our churches and you automatically assume that it was just Mansfield or, or it was Norton or it was someplace else, right? Or it's, it's safe to assume that because then we don't have to deal with the issue. Um, concerts. People go to concerts. There's a... Uh, which concerts are wrong? Which concerts are, are okay? You know, um, is a is a men's quartet concert okay? Whereas uh, you know a Christian single solo artist that has an album out is wrong. I don't know. I'm not here to define that. I'm just saying that this is what we're doing. Um, music, radio, is what we're doing. Seminars, you know, church help seminars, music seminars, um, all different kinds of seminars out there now. And, uh, I mean, there's a whole, actually, almost an economy built on, on the Christian seminars and Christian helps. People make a living doing it. Um, we're doing that, too. Where do we, uh, where do we draw the line? And I'm going to try to go th- through some of this quick, and maybe that will give us time to talk at the end. Um, but where do we draw the line? What was always interesting to me on this subject is that we know what's right. We individually draw our own limits. Some of us will read books but not go to other churches. Some of us, now reading books is wrong, um, but we'll do something else. Going to a music seminar, well, that's okay because we're just singing together. Um, We know what's beneficial for us and what's not, and we choose accordingly, and we, we just draw the line ourselves. We all, you know, it's... And maybe that's an obvious answer. Um, I was talking with somebody last night on a different subject, but the same kind of premise that we're not intentionally going to go do something, at least most of us, that we know isn't going to benefit or or that we disagree with. Um, Most of us feel it's okay if we're going to do it. And I I like this. And I'm, I'm going to say this one because this has actually crossed my mind at times. I'm not fraternizing when I do it. But you are when you do, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, we look at others and we, we, we establish, well, 
that's fraternization, but we forget to take the mode of our, out of our own eye um, and the fact that what are we doing at the same time while we're pointing the finger at somebody else. Um, and we're doing it so we can grow or for our enjoyment, for, for some entertainment or for learning, um, and perhaps even for the church's benefit. There's fraternization that's taking place for the church's benefit. I mean, there's a lot of resources out there. And, um, and we're, people are going out, whether on their own or, or with other people, to, to gain insight on how to help their church, for better or for worse. Uh, and one thing that, as we consider where we draw the line, you know, we heard yesterday in, in, our, in the sermon that our children are very good imitators. Um, and we can't expect them. We can't, we can't lay, that, lay down this, this law and say, don't fraternize. Uh, and then be hypocrites in what we're doing. Um, there's a kind of an analogy that, that Tom and I were talking about. Um, we tell our kids, don't smoke. And we tell our kids, it's bad, it's horrible, don't do drugs. Um, but smoking is a, a kind of an interesting one because when they try it the first time, nothing really happens other than coughing and maybe choking a little bit, right? They don't die. Um, and so it seems like maybe something to consider for us is that we need to kind of go into a further dialogue about um, implications of fraternization, implications about um, why we're doing what we're doing as parents. Um, but taking, taking a further step, and let's, let's redefine how we approach this. The reason we thought the analogy was effective is you can tell your kids smoking's bad, don't do it, don't smoke, don't smoke. And then they go out one day, and they have a cigarette, and they don't fall over dead. And they say, you know, all those warnings, all that trepidation, Really, I don't buy it because their short-term experience doesn't reflect the long-term effect. And that's why fraternization, you go, you do this one thing, these guys are worried for nothing. You discount the whole warning because of the short-term, you don't acknowledge what's going to happen over the long. And the difficulty with with the dilemma is that you can't just try to explain the long-term problem um, because... If, they're, if the young people are at all like I was, it's not going to happen to me, right? right? It's, well, I'm different. It's not going to happen to me. And that doesn't have to be the case. And they don't understand how often it is the case. Uh, so I don't have an answer, and we don't have an answer for how to fix that necessarily. I just want to have you recognize that it's not as easy as just trying to explain it all because they won't, they won't happen to them. Um, the, the proposal. What, what was interesting as we were starting to talk about this, Tom and I, was that we do this individually for our benefit. We pick and choose. And maybe, you, you, this is open for further discussion among all of you and among the, the leadership, um, that maybe we stop looking at what's beneficial for me and, and look at what's beneficial for my church. Both locally and then the body nationally. 
Now, at one level, that could mean that if all of us start looking at what's beneficial for the church and we know that there's been problems in the past, that we stop reading, we stop listening, we stop doing anything that's not put out by our denomination. Takes care of the problem. There also might be something a little bit, a little different um, that, that we can look at. And, and this, is, this is a proposal that would take some work and it would take your church working together. But that's that, let's say there is a music seminar that sounds like it would be helpful um, for, the, for somebody to go to from church that somebody's putting out. That if the brothers feels that he should, don't just do it, but maybe talk to the leadership and say, I'm interested in going to this. I think it would help because of this. What do you think? Can you give me some insight? And I will listen to what you have to say. And I will follow what you tell me I should follow. And maybe that way, maybe, maybe, that way that we can carefully pick and choose as a body, both local and national, what resources are out there that can be effective in helping us as a denomination. That, because the problem that we're having right now is everybody's choosing for themselves. Everybody's de- deciding for themselves what's, what's good, what's bad. And, and I'm not saying that this will work in every situation because how do you decide which books are okay? I mean, do you run every book by the, the elder? And you know, it would be a lot of fun to see <laughs> elders with stacks of books right this high trying to read them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, some of that's just not practical. But as far as just kind of if you're going to start going to seminars or if you're going to start doing things, don't look at what's going to be beneficial for me. But if you're going to use the, the argument that it's beneficial for the church, well, talk to the church. Um, talk to the, to the leaders and say, I think this is going to be beneficial. What do you think? And, and go from there. Um, as far as books, the, the, the only thought that I had and is that we need to put some serious filters in place when we're reading books. Um, anybody get CBD catalogs? Right? You know, they're huge. Christian book distributor catalogs. There's like only two pages dedicated to, to variations of the Bible, versions of the Bible. The, the other 60, 70 pages that you can get, depending on which catalog you get, are all books or, and toys and videos and things. But a lot of it's books written by authors. And, you know, I would propose, and I'm still a big proponent of read the Bible more than you're reading other books. If you find yourself in a position where you're spending more time reading other books than you are at the Bible, there's something wrong. Um, you know, maybe there's books out there that are good and that bring out points, but you need to have some serious filters on um, if you're going to start reading a lot of books because it's amazing how subtly your, our thinking can be swayed. And I, I think we've all experienced that in ways. Um, the other, let me see, kind of the last thought as far as redefining how we approach this um, has been, as I've read some books recently, <laughs> um, I read some books on the Anabaptist movement, on kind of how it started in Switzerland, and um, what amazed me is is how hard these these people, these brothers and sisters, these Christians were working 
in spreading the gospel and how vibrant it seemed like their lives were. Um, and so I would propose that, you know, in, in the next five minutes I can give you all the answers, that we need to have a vibrant church where everyone's busy, where we don't have people that, that don't have anything to do. But that requires having kind of a purpose and, and, and having this established direction and uh, what, peop- what roles people are going to be playing in church so that, um, so that people don't have time to look and, and, and read and, and kind of dwell on, on higher thoughts and on, on big spiritual discussions. But they're too busy showing the love of Jesus to the world and to the lost. Um, how we get there, that, that's, not, that's not the role of this forum. But it's about how to strengthen our fellowship. Are you still going to have fraternization? Are you still going to have people going to other churches because they're not happy? Sure. Um, can you stop it? No. I don't think so. Because unless you have a leash on everybody, you're, you're just not going to be able to. But you're gonna, we're going to start to minimize the wandering because, because I'm not involved, I'm not busy, there's nothing for me to do, and, and church is dead. Right? So there's that. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, the last, is there, did you have E? Okay. I'm going to just run through real quick, and you're going to have to add some insight because we talked about this. Um, the evangelical movement and its impact. Um, the evangelical movement looks really good. Uh, it's having success. Um, churches are becoming mega churches. We're losing people to them. Um, they're saving people. Uh, and why not become more like them and, and work with them? You know, the ecumenical movement, the movement to work together and, and focus on one, just one church, don't fret the details, um, just work together to bring people to Jesus. You can be very persuasive. Sounds good. Sounds really good. Um, we can do that. We can have our own denomination where we worship together, but we work hand-in-hand hand with other churches to, uh, to bring people to Jesus. Um, we're going to lose our identity. We'll lose who we are. We'll just become a church on the corner. And what's interesting enough is, is in, you know, there's people that have left our church, even when I was young, like one of my youth group leaders, he moved out west, was going to one of our churches out there that that eventually they stopped going. And, and he came back and visited, and they, he stopped going to that church out west, and, and he, he was going to a community church. And when they came back, I was talking to him and asked him why. You know, just kind of as part of a conversation, why did you go elsewhere? And, and the, the comment, and he didn't realize what he was saying, but the comment blew me away. And that's like, well, you know, the church on the corner, we, we're going to this church in the corner, it's closer and um, we can walk there when it's nice outside. And you know, it just—it was giving us everything that, that, the, that the church that we were going to was. And what he was saying is there was no difference between the church that he had been going to and the church on the corner. So why not just go to the church on the corner? That's the problem with losing our identity. We can be successful individual churches on the corner, but we won't have what we have now. And so if we value what we have now, and if we feel that it's important, the relationships that we have, then that's one argument against 
just starting to associate and starting to blend together and it's not a big deal. Um, and for the people that are, don't think it's a big deal and are doing it now, you're hurting your church and you're hurting our denomination when you do it because we miss you when you're gone, um, especially in the small churches. I know in my church, when someone's not there, we feel it. Um, yeah, I mean, you could go on and on about that. I don't know, Tom, if you want to add anything to that. If not, um, I'll just let Tom... We're, we're really not here in any stretch of the imagination to cover things exhaustively. We're just putting some thoughts and ideas out there for further discussion, and that's, that's our key. Path between legalism and liberalism. I have a little graphic up here. This is a cross-section of a path, and you can see the ball is sitting on the top of the path, but what's the ball's problem? And, and if this is a pathway that's three-dimensionally coming right towards you, if you were pushing that ball on the road, what's your problem? One at a time, I'm sorry. It's going to want to go either way. So if I want to push that ball down the road and get that ball to its destination on the road, what's it going to take? How often? Constant, constant hands on the ball. Because there's no flat spot. It's an arc. And I think that's a very good representation of the challenge that we have and all churches have on the path towards heaven. It is arced. And the minute you start backing off, you're going to drift left, or right, legalism or liberalism. And that is the default, unfortunately. With slightly decreased energy, the default is to roll one side or the other. Why? B. Veering is the result of lazy Christianity. It's a result of putting your hands in your pockets and not on the ball, keeping it moving forward. That's the challenge. The difficulty with this topic is that I don't know where to start. I don't really know where to start. It is easier on the side of legalism, it is easier to simply make a set of rules. It is easier. The problem is, when we look at the Old Testament, we see, where did rules get people? It's impossible. And it's not vibrant. Liberalism is easier. Let's focus on the major things and not fuss about the smaller things. It's easier. There's less energy. The problem is, when you read Scripture, the Scriptures are demanding if the scriptures were four, four verses long, it would be, but they're not. There's a lot in there. And Bob was talking a little bit about, you know, churches that ultimately have a color and then they're put into the ocean of general Christianity, which is not all evil by any means, but it just completely loses what it was. 
And I think that this church, and the reason that I'm going to stay here, is that I think we have a lot of light. And I think the fact that yesterday I talked about some controversial things, but nobody came up to me and was upset with me. And I'm sure that there are people that, that are nervous about this form that went two days now. But I think that it's a sign of vibrancy that we had it and that we're talking about it. And we don't have the answers, but we're talking about answers and moving forward in ways that I think is an indication that our hands are on the ball. It needs constant. And the thing about it, if you've ever done that, pushed a ball, it needs, it's constantly moving one side or the other. It's constantly dabbling on one side or the other. Have our church leadership dabbled in legalism? Yes, they have. Have they dabbled in liberty? Yes, they have, because it's a constant morphing situation that we have at hand. But we have to have more people with their hands on the ball. More people with a visceral understanding of the energy that it takes to move a church forward as a body. You know, I had uh, the 18-year-olds last year as well, and I said, you know, one thing you don't realize is that often when when you get into a leadership position, you're getting your arms pulled in two completely different directions. And it's not that you disagree completely with one or the other. It's just that, you know, you guys are pulling me so hard. What do you want me to do? We can make life a lot simpler by saying, you know what? Let's form out of the Apostolic Christian churches, which is how many, how many churches? North America. 60? Why don't we just form not 60, 160 or 600 churches. Won't that be so much easier? Stupid answer, right? Ridiculous. I want to put energy in. I know people that are here want to put energy in, put their hands on the ball. But it takes energy. It takes vigilance. It takes vibrancy. And I know I've talked and preached about this a thousand times, but it changed my life when I studied the history of the Christian church um, over from the time of Christ through the current times. Because I saw so many times how one church would form, and I know many of you, my poor wife's probably heard this dozens of times, but I can't reiterate it enough. Study it yourself. That's the end. Study it yourself and see how a church would be formed and over a period of time, it would start to drift one way or the other. Legalism, liberalism. More rules, more stringency, less rules. And invariably, it would be degraded to the point where someone would say, you know what? This church is not alive. It's not vibrant. It's one or the other. It needs to be on the top of the berm of the road. And that person would start a new congregation. And he, was vi- he or she would be, they would be vibrant and alive. And they would grow. And over time... They'd start veering. And someone else would say, you know what? This place is dead. This place, contrary to one survey indicator, maybe you're here today, this place is not dead. But we have to worry that it can be. All of us should be worried that it can be. And you know what? The people that come to camp in my 
generally speaking in my mind, are people that impact their churches at home. And I think it's vital. I'm so thankful this year that the numbers are up. I think it's vital for you to go home and let the vibrancy and the fact that your hands are on the ball, let that spread. And I could talk so much more about this topic, but time is running out. And a couple of verses that I want to read that are, that are critical, I think. First Corinthians 12. Starting with verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. In terms of us leaning towards legalism, I think we need to realize that we can be a strong church. I think we, can, we need to realize that when there's nuances of things that are aggravating me and bothering me, the answer is not to try to force a rule set on per- people. The answer is to spend more time together and dialogue together. And that means energy, hands on the ball, fellowshipping together, reaching out to people that are lost. That kind of energy is going to force us to hone our skills brother told me yesterday, iron sharpening iron, as the word says, that's uncomfortable for the steel. It's uncomfortable for the iron, but it makes us sharper and stronger. We need to realize, you know, this is my first year as being an advisor at camp, but I was in the meetings a few years back. And I know that there was times where something happened at a campfire, inspiration hour, or this and that. There's always issues you're talking about. But you know what? Since I was a little kid, there was things that happened. Something that was said with it was a little bit off the beaten path. You know what? We're not falling apart. We're not falling apart from a single word or statement. We're stronger than that. We're vibrant. And the answer is not to create a rule set, but to be vibrant and talk about it and dialogue. You know, when you, when you read about what happened in the Corinthian church and especially in Greece and even in the times in general, you know, people didn't have all these entertainment distractions. What they did was they talked together. They dialogued. They enjoyed the banter about the word and the differences. We've gotten away from that. We're so politically correct now. We fear differences and divisions. It's like, oh, tri-. you know what? We have to embrace that to a degree and say, hammer it against each other a little bit in a loving way. And where's that going to get us? Deeper, more spiritual, better. First Corinthians 6.12. Time is fleeting. Yesterday I was on time. Let's remember that. <laughs> the first time perhaps ever. All, and this is on, the, on the, the liberal side. All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. Forget that second half of the verse. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. If we have a mindset, like Bob said, of, you know, not so much selfishly, what's good for me, I want to do what's good for me, that is the world today. That's the, you know, we talk in the surveys, there's a lot of discussion about, well, the world is impacting us, dress and all these. You know what? That's not nearly as big of a problem as the world invading us with the notion of take care of you, make sure you're comfortable. Come on! 
It's not about me. It's about the body and reaching out to other people. We, we get a selfish mindset and we just want to talk about, it's expedient for me, it's expedient for me, but it's, or it's lawful for me, it's lawful for me, but it's not necessarily expedient. It's a powerful verse. <clears throat> I'm going to do the survey results, so you don't want to leave yet. I want to close, even though there's much more to be said, with Philippians 3, 11 through 15. If by any means I might attain unto the, uh, is that right? If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the hot calling of God, Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Greatest threat to the future of our fellowship 47% worldly influences infiltrating the church. And I'm going to reiterate my statement. It's not the way we look and the things that we do that's the real danger. It's the mindset of, I just want to be comfortable, that the world is pounding into us every day that's diminishing us as a body. Is that enough time for you to see all the numbers? How much do and I abbreviated some of these to fit them in. How much difference is it within your brotherhood and fellowship bother you? 31%. It bothers me personally a bit. More emphasis on the first half than on the second half, which I think is interesting. The stronger giving way to the weaker. 44%. I feel we don't understand this correctly. That's why we talked about it yesterday. I'm hoping this number is a little bit different now. How effective is your church at incorporating new people into the fellowship? 59%. We try to be welcoming, but don't reach out enough. How do we deal with doctrinal questions or divisions? 51%. We have a problem listening to different ideas. Again, I'm hoping we're sending you home with maybe some ideas that that next year you'll come back to me and say, Tommy, no, we did. We tried that. Didn't work that good. But this is what we got out of it. And this is how we tweaked it further. And it's working much better. That's what I want to hear. Six. How dangerous is fraternization to our fellowship? 49%. We need to be careful about outside influences. And pretty solid for the next two. Fraternization is a substantial threat. It's a huge problem that causes a large amount of problems. Number seven, how do you view the difficulty of the divide between legalism and liberalism? Both sides need to focus on scripture. 80, that was the most one-sided answer. And you know what? Great solution. We have a couple minutes, but you can talk to me the rest of the week because it's only Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? Yeah. Um, so ideas and discussion.
about the world, how they operate 90% perception, 10% fact. Unfortunately, I think we as the Apostolic Christian Church does the same thing. But in dealing with that issue of legalism and liberalism, and this is just my opinion, and unfortunately, I think we've come to the stage in our church you can't express your opinion because when you do, it's, it, it's sometimes read as an ultimatum. I think some of our folks, when you talk about liberalism and, and legalism in our church, we see our leadership coming hard on the liberalism side, but they let the legalists still do their thing. That's just my perception, and that that doesn't promote or, or help the body as far as the church looking into the finding leadership. That's just a perception. My perception? Fair statement. rules and legalism. I've done a, quite an extensive study on it. And what is legalism? If you look at legalism in the, in the uh, Bible, especially in the New Testament, uh, legalism, I think in its purest definition would be uh, the, the implication that one is saved by works of the law. That's legalism. You have to be circumcised, you have to do this, you have to do that in order to be saved. I don't believe that is the position of the Apostolic Christian Church in terms of some of the rules that it, that it, it would like to impose. Um, many people interpret the, the, uh, the desire to adhere to Scripture as closely as possible as legalism. And I think that's where uh, the, the error lies, or the, the misunderstanding lies, the desire to adhere to scripture is interpreted as legalism. And we need to really consider that. Well, the problem becomes that people are saying, well, there's these six different ways to interpret that scripture. Right. And you're choosing that one. Don't you impose yours on me. So. Exactly. The other thing, I appreciate the point you had in your slide about lazy Christianity. And uh, the... I was once given an analogy of how to control, say, a level in a tank. You're given the, you're given the responsibility to make sure that that tank doesn't get too low so you don't lose inventory. It doesn't get too high so you don't get flooded. You can just turn the tap off, you'll never have flooded. You can turn the tap full blast, you'll never go dry, but you cause great damage. So this business of keeping your hands in the bowl is a valid uh, uh, concept and idea that should be pursued and followed. And only then are we alive Christians because we are alive to the Holy Spirit and to the Word. As, as times do change, and as cultures change, and as practices change, at the same time to make sure that we adhere to the Word of God as closely as possible. observation that most of what Christian bookstores carry would be evangelical types of materials um, and there's it's very hard to come across Anabaptist literature 
And you typically don't know what a book is about until you read it. And oftentimes, you don't know where the author is coming from in terms of his faith stance, what background, and so on. Do you have any guidelines for dealing with an issue like that? I mean, you know, you have to go out of your way to find Anabaptist literature. And it is out there, and there's a lot of it if you know where to get it. But you're not going to find it at the local Christian bookstore. And I have a feeling that, you know, we're so much influenced by that and many of those concepts because that's the only thing that we see presented to us. The, the Anabaptist literature doesn't have multi-million dollar marketing programs that have tapes and workbooks and books and everything else that goes with it. Any, okay. any thoughts on that? Well, Bob's going to make a comment. I mean, just to say that as I've read some of the books, they're great. Um, they're just not easily available. You know, the, uh, books in the bookstore by John MacArthur, Max Lucado, Charles Stanley, you name them. They're all over the place, and they're easy to get. Um, books by, like you're saying, the Anabaptist books or books that, that are that you know, are actually very fun reading and are very interesting. I learned a lot you can't get a hold of. So the question then that comes up and that you beg the question, at which point do we define a list or, or do we let people know where to get them or, or is it by word of mouth after we've read them to say this is a good book? That's not, I don't think this is the, the place to, to propose that that's how we do it, but it's something to, to then raise the question and say how would we possibly consider getting the word out for some of these books? You know, I really appreciated the book and I, I, I hate to say it, but like the book Common Sense that I thought made a lot of sense as I read it, and it's had an impact on, on the way I walk, and I, I feel it fits in with our denomination's view on the way we should live a lot. Um, but I didn't, you know, I don't know. I, that's we really have to conclude. I'm sorry about that. Um, I appreciate your input and your attentiveness, and uh, thanks for coming. And feel free to dialogue with me or with Bob uh, all week. <laughs>